Hello, I'm Matt Ward and welcome to the Running Industry Podcast. This is a brand new podcast bringing you news, opinion and analysis on hot topics within the global running industry. Over the course of this first season, we'll be speaking to brand owners, startups, marketeers, creatives, along with key figures and thought leaders from the running industry. We'll be delving deep to find out what makes individuals and companies tick and how they see the future of the industry and the wider running world. With this being the first ever episode and in the current situation that we find ourselves, there was really only going to be one topic of conversation, that of coronavirus and COVID-19. Thanks so much for listening to this first episode. Here's what's coming up. As the CEO of a marketing business, I can tell you from first-hand experience that brands almost universally have cut their marketing budgets. If not to zero, then close to it. We had a full inbox of cancellations and postponements of events and shoots all the way through the diary. So about 85% of the diary that we had booked in disappeared almost overnight. I thought it'd be interesting to, in a way, document the feelings and the thoughts of our guests and to get them to lay down a kind of COVID diary for us. There's a bit of variety in the in, in the role and in business now, and it is it's forcing people to be really genuinely creative. And that's kind of, you know, being in marketing, that's what I absolutely love. When I thought about it, we haven't been affected a huge amount. We are actually being small. We're quite lean. We're very adaptable. Uh, we haven't got big overheads. So we haven't had to worry so much like a lot of companies about how we can even just pay the rent on a building. Okay, so let's cast our minds back to January 2020. Companies involved in running events, brand owners, running retailers, those in the media and marketing were all gearing up for another great year. Then came coronavirus. Well, COVID's had a devastating impact on the business. There's no doubt about it. Um, By the end of uh, 2020, we will have lost pretty much all of our turnover for the year. I guess we've all had to reassess and redirect much of our day-to-day lives. And for those of us in the running industry, everything will now be graded in a kind of pre- and post-COVID world. Our guests will be talking about how the virus has affected their company, negatively or even positively. How they see it affecting the industry as a whole, both in the UK and across the globe. And how they'll try to negotiate the situation and emerge from the global COVID-19 crisis in one form or another. A massive thank you to all of our contributors to this podcast. And I might add that all of the interviews recorded in May 2020 in the middle of lockdown. First up is co-founder of Like the Wind magazine, Simon Freeman. Hi, I'm Simon Freeman from Like the Wind magazine. The magazine actually uh, was a really genuinely a side project. Um, My wife and I had had launched uh, a marketing business for the endurance sports space and uh, at the same time, we thought that there was possibly um, a market for a running journal, a, a bit more akin to the sort of sort of magazines we were seeing in cycling and surfing and climbing and skating. I wrote to lots of people asking them to tell us a story, and Julie learned how to um, lay out a magazine, and we just got on with it. We just did it. And we took a, probably a month to put the first edition together. Uh, we spent all the money we'd saved up to, to renovate our kitchen on printing the first edition. And then we sort of crossed our fingers and hoped that people would, would, want, would want to buy copies of the magazine. 
And the response has been amazing. I mean, that was six years ago. We're now, we published quarterly. We're now on issue 24. Because of our, because of the way that we approached the project. So we, we, we didn't come at it as um, experienced publishers trying to build a business. And we did it because we, we thought that it was the kind of magazine that we wanted to read. There were a few things that we did that were probably um, unusual or the ro- or, or, or inverted commas, the wrong way to do things that have played into our favor. So the first thing is we are what we call a reader supported publication. So we have very, very little um, in the way of advertising. So we normally have about three or four brands that, that have an advertorial and, and that supports the, the production of the magazine. Um, so that's meant that uh, we haven't been hit too hard by brands reducing their marketing spend dramatically um, because we, they weren't spending very much with us in the first place. And we, we're not reliant on that revenue to, to produce the magazine. The other thing is that we have never really sold the magazine through news agents. Now, obviously, any magazine that is sold through news agents or distributed to news agents um, is suffering because all the news agents are closed. We didn't feel that that was the right route for us when we started the magazine because of the amount of waste that's involved. We've only really ever sold direct to runners that that either buy a single copy or subscribe. Um, So again, it hasn't really had a huge impact on us. I would say the most dramatic, although not negative effect, is the the amount of quality contributions that we've received over the last eight weeks um, from people who are saying, I've always wanted to write for the magazine but I never had time and now I do, um, the, the quality of content has been astonishing. Like the next edition will be coming out in um, in about a month and it's it's going to be one of our best uh, from, a, from a contributions point of view. As the CEO of a marketing business, I can tell you from firsthand experience that brands almost universally have cut their marketing budgets. Um, if not to zero, then close to it. We sell the magazine in 32 countries around the world. So we have links with brands all over the world. And I think what's really interesting is that we're seeing areas in in, in Southeast Asia that were coming out of lockdown almost before Europe was going into lockdown. So again, the, the timing of how COVID-19 has been impacting on brands or the markets that brands sell into has been inconsistent. But interestingly, we've been talking to quite a few brands as well who sell primarily through their um own e-commerce platforms and and a lot of them are doing okay they're doing a lot better than they thought they were going to be doing because people are still buying stuff still buying running products and, and and getting into it and treating themselves you know people have increased the amount of runs that they do a week from two to five and they think well i'm going to treat myself to some new kit which is great um so those brands that have an ability to sell direct to the consumer through their through their websites uh, seem to be doing doing all right We've always been very pro ink on paper. We've we've always been very much about the experience of receiving the magazine and sitting down with a post run cuppa tea or beer or coffee or something and and sort of indulging a little bit of time in reading these stories that people take so long to write and you know indulging a little bit in the beautiful illustrations and the and the and the, and the really wonderful photography. Um, but I think what I'm starting to realise is that there are lots of opportunities for us to tell stories through other media so the magazine will be the hub if you like but then there's lots of spokes there's lots of opportunities for us to use um our social channels or our website or um dare i say a podcast uh, which we've never dabbled in 
So I think there's lots of ways in which we can kind of expand the remit of telling running stories that inspire people and and, and uh, move people and motivate people. I think that that's going to become a much bigger part of of what we do. You know, it's very much about the same um, purpose, which is telling these running stories. But I just think we're now open to more different types of media. I also think that the e-commerce will continue to, to to flourish. People are happier to buy a subscription online and have it delivered or or perhaps even a digital subscription. I don't know whether that's something that we might have in the future. I think that will benefit us because, as I said, the traditional method of selling through news agencies is, is incredibly wasteful and it's not something we really wanted to, to engage in. I think the next couple of years is going to be super exciting, actually. I think it's going to be a really interesting time. I think people are craving better quality content. You know, I love seeing some of the documentaries on Netflix, some of the things like the Formula One documentary or the, or the current one about um, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. They, these pieces of content are absolutely stunning. I'm fixated by them. And I think if we could be part of doing something like that in run, yeah, that would be a, that would be a dream come true. From the independent Written Word and Light the Wind magazine to the independent filmmakers, Summit Fever Media. Hi, my name is Matt Green and I am co-owner of Summit Fever Media with my wife, Ellie. We set up Summit Fever Media back in 2012, initially starting to provide promotional videos for small trail running races that were local to us. And now we split our time between running events, promotional work for brands and independent short films and features. So we started 2020 in a really positive place. Back in January, we were looking at almost full calendar all the way through till Christmas. We had a brilliant time at the Montaigne Spine Race And then a few shoots took us on to Expedition Amundsen in Norway in the back end of February. Then we came back to the UK and were just sort of getting ready for everything else when lockdown happened. And pretty much in a week, or a matter of days in fact, we had a full inbox of cancellations and postponements of events and shoots all the way through the diary. So about 85% of the diary that we had booked in disappeared almost overnight. It was a big shock to the system and, you know, we knew that we needed to deal with it pretty quickly because otherwise there was going to be a significant issue, particularly with like cash flow, um, which is important for any small business. We're really lucky to work in an industry where, you know, there's such a positive place the running industry is such a friendly and, you know, fun-loving and exciting and innovative environment to be in. So Ellie and I sat down and made a list of things that we could do. And right at the top of the list was reaching out to our peers, clients and community. This was really important to us because ultimately coming out the other side of this, we need Everyone needs the whole ecosystem to still be there in some shape or form for for everything to still work. A lot of uh, filmmakers like ourselves have content online that's for sale and revenue from those things, those films and series and stuff, make a really important contribution to our income 
because in situations like this that suddenly becomes a really crucial part like that's when you can't go out filming an event being able to sell you know your films is is massive it was yeah it was really as expected there was a really positive reaction and it quickly became apparent in in those first three months to be honest in the first like couple of weeks that there were going to be some long-term implications for this in terms of bookings and what we were going to be able to do in terms of work i think this comes to the fact that change tends to bring two things challenge and opportunity it challenges what you're doing and how you're doing it it's easy to see as a negative situation I mean, on top of projects itself, we've also seen it as a great opportunity to assess the way that we work, learn new stuff, learn new skills, speak to new people and see how we can improve coming out of this. Basically, the plan consists of two parts. One, part A, part one is survive and part two is thrive. And, you know, at the moment we feel confident that we're going to survive this um i know a lot will struggle and then coming out the other side um you know we just want to focus on the positives i should say a quick shout out to uh, mark who's our social media manager he's done a brilliant job in you know carrying on getting content out online for us while we've been sucked into trying to rearrange how we're doing how we're working and and how we're gonna tackle the you know the year the years ahead so i think the industry as a whole in the uk and across the globe are going to see some permanent changes they're probably going to last for a significant amount of time you know at least a couple of years if not longer in the last 10 years i think the running industry has really grown a substantial amount so many more brands are available in here in the uk and uh everyone seems to have grown in the running industry throughout you know the whole globe there are some massive running series that just seem to get bigger and bigger and getting more and more mainstream coverage which is fantastic and so i think in some ways we've come into this you know, period of difficulty and uncertainty in a strong position. I think there will need to be some obviously big changes because there are so many people out running. There are so many people in the industry and that uh, it's a real passionate industry as well. There's so many people who, you know, like ourselves, we really, really love what we do and we love running. And that's why, you know, I really think, having that passion will help drive us through and come up with solutions in terms of how covid will specifically affect our business in the coming two years it's going to significantly change things for sure particularly in terms of our event coverage work but i think it's going to be an opportunity to try new things new projects There are loads of ideas that have been on the shelf for a little while now that we're excited to get out and try and, you know, diversify what we're doing, but also continue to support our clients that we're working for. I think we're going to find things are going to be hard in the next six months. Um, And I think that 
when that's passed, things will get easier. I do see a light at the end of the tunnel and I do see, see things improving. In a lot of respects, we're in a stronger position now. We've learned a lot that we didn't know before. We've got the, a lot more of a, a wider community around us than we had before. And one thing that I think is really important to focus on for everyone is that the running industry will always survive as long as people keep running. I think that couldn't be more true than it is now. It's fantastic to see so many more people out running than, than to be honest, I've ever seen before. And I really think that will stand in good stead for the industry coming out the other side. So that's magazines and filmmakers covered. Now for one of the world's leading sock brands. I'm Rich Phillip. I look after the marketing for Stance Europe. Stance is an American, originally a sock business, sock manufacturing business that was born out of LA, southern LA. Um, it was very much an action sports business in the beginning, looking after skateboarding, surf shops, in the winter into snowboarding shops. Um, but as the brand and as the industry has progressed and as trends have changed, we've moved into more performance orientated sports, things like cycling, road and mountain, running, golf, um, trail riding, uh, motocross. And we've got a whole plethora of industries that we work in. Running is a, a really big category for us because um, te- the technicity of a sock is really, really important in a pair of running shoes, far more so than, you know, in a lifestyle pair of sneakers. You know, your running shoe is the sock is the thing that connects you to the ground. It's the thing that connects you between your shoe and your ankle. And it's often that actually the thing that causes all of the problems when you're running um, either in the early days or if you're an experienced runner with blisters, with hot spots, um, it's more often or not down to the sock rather than the shoe. So that's kind of why running and we've been really um, adopted by the running community in the last few years. We've got three you know tiers of the business um one is d2c um and now d2c is essentially two of these one is retail and one is e-commerce our retail business has obviously absolutely closed down we closed down from the middle of march um our shores stores um, completely closed our staff unfortunately went on furlough um our wholesale business is our retailers that we have across Europe. Now, we've got about 3,500 retailers. All of those that were just um, bricks and mortar have obviously closed down and have been for a few months now. Um, so that stream of revenue has, has really gone. Those that continue to sell online, um, which you know is, is quite a large proportion of them, but the, the, the nature of the industries that we work in, especially in run, is it's a real hands-on in environment and it's a, a real hands-on selling piece that a lot of them didn't really sell online. Um, but for those that have kept the online business going, those online businesses are firing. You know, there's certain big online sports retailers that have they can't get enough socks. Um, you know, it's all about home comforts. It's lounging around, and that's where our underwear and our socks have, have really sold out and been able to sort of really work with them quite closely and build build their business um, off the back of some of the free stock that we had available. Um, then the third tier is our own e-commerce, our own um, website, and that's been going really, really well. Um, we went obviously into lockdown mid-March, and then we, we luckily we had all of our spring product um, 
available. So our spring product landed in February, which meant that we had plenty um, of inventory. We had some really great run styles. Spring is our main season for performance, for running specifically because of the marathon season starting. So we had all of our sports styles ready to go. Um, So we were able to obviously tell the stories around the sports products and push them out. Um, So the e-commerce side of the business has gone really well, as has the online retailer side of the business. But everything else, you know, our wholesale channel, those that didn't have websites and our own retail businesses is just on pause at the moment. So that side of things is really tough. It differs by country, interestingly. Germany opened up about a month ago. Um, closed some of the stores closed down quite quickly because they didn't have um, any footfall through the stores. Um, but generally, you know, it's it, it's it's been neither negative or positive. Negative in the sense that we've lost a lot of our accounts for the time being, but positive in the sense that we've we we've really refined how we sell online to both the wholesale channel and our own business. We've also, on the positive side, had to work really hard at driving content. We've always been pretty good at content. But one thing that we've um, developed fairly recently is a, a better relationship with our community. We've made, you know, if you look at a, a stance or any any brand Instagram feed, a lot of it is brand-led content. It's photo shoots that we do in studios. It's around the technology. It's all of the stuff that you really work hard to create and curate. But, you know, we haven't been able to access the studio. We haven't been able to access our photographers or our models or any of our athletes even. So we've had to work with our community. And it's really forced us to, I mean, we're really, really fortunate in stance that we've got a community that absolutely adores the brand and really we're, we're really close to. And that's because we've worked really hard on that over the years. But we haven't really asked much of our community and this is the first time we really kind of went out to them and said, look, can you help create some content for us? And we want to hear your stories, whether it's um, you know, a, a running story or a sneaker story or an artist and how he designs some art or a photographer and how he does photographs for Instagram. We've, um, we've, we've, I think we've done a really good job of really engaging with the community on that side. So that's, that's been a real positive, And I hope that we'll have a healthy mix of that as we move out the back of um, Corona. With regards to the industry, I think it's probably going to go a lot more digital. Um, a lot of those events that were probably, you know, putting an event on in August time and it was a 1,000 trail race, you know, is possibly going to be, you know, you can still do that trail race. They'll put out the GPX file, but it has to be over a month and you do it in your own time and your own safe space. Um, but yeah, I really don't know. I can't, I genuinely can't see big mass participation events coming back this year, sadly. I think there may be some smaller club nights, club races where you can enforce some form of social distancing, maybe in the latter half of the year. Um, but, you know, as a brand, we, we rely heavily on events. We've worked with a lot of the running crews over the years, um, whether it's in the UK with the likes of the Rundam or um, Patter Running Club in Amsterdam or any of these running clubs, you know, their, their whole premise is around running as a community. And it's just, and I'm hoping that, those sort of communities can get back first, you know, more than, you know, a, a, a mass marathon. But, you know, it's, it's, I have no idea. It's so uncertain at the moment. And I, you know, we, as a brand, we certainly won't be putting events on. We've got a responsibility to our community and we won't be putting any, any, any events, no matter how big or small they'll be this year. We were quite a nimble organization already. 
because the fact that we were a startup sort of six or seven years ago, we still have a startup mentality. So we've always been, as I say, fairly nimble and able to pivot onto new categories or new consumer groups. Um, and I think this will just continue to, to allow us to, and, and force us really to, to continue to be nimble. And, you know, there was a, there's always, there's always that natural growth piece where you get to a certain size and processes get put in place. You know, I've worked for big organizations where, you know, overnight they turn into a process driven organization and there's obviously massive benefits for that. But I think with stance, it will, um, it'll mean that we still continue to be really, um, really adaptable and really um, yeah, nimble in the way we approach things. Like an example of that is in the last um, couple of weeks, we've just launched face masks created out of the butter blend material that is in our underwear. So we've been able to, where we, where we stopped some production lines during Corona, we had some excess underwear inventory and some material. So we were able to rebuild that into face masks. And I think if we were uh, a, a lot bigger and had a lot of processes in place, it would have been a lot harder to literally pivot and push that out. And, you know, that might be a fad and it might be a category that uh, here today, gone tomorrow, but it might also be the everyday. And we, we might be living with face masks for the next two years and do 500,000 of them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the, the nimbleness and the ability to continue to react to the market changes is, is a massive benefit of stance we we've always worked in a way that we we work with the trends we try and lead the trends and we're always slightly ahead of where we um where the market is so i think we'll continue to do that we'll continue to and that those trends are obviously led by the communities and certain in running you know i do believe that a lot of the trends in running are led um from a few small pockets of user groups consumer groups um, and those people are still out running, um, but they're, the thing that inspires those individuals that I'm thinking of is very much communities around them, and they haven't got that around them at the moment. So I'm hoping what it doesn't do is it doesn't really slow down sort of innovation and the progressiveness of the of the community. But I think you know the the biggest challenge is going to be um, is going to be product for all brands. You know, going into next year, the way they sell product, you know, there isn't like for those that don't know how the industry works like trade shows is a big thing in our industry and you know trade shows aren't happening you know are they going to be digital trade shows or are they just going to be off um you know we've got the first one coming up probably in the next couple of months which is the outdoor show out in germany that obviously won't be happening um and you know whether they turn that into a digital showcase i'm not sure but i think the way in which um brands are able to get product to the customers is going to obviously change. Customers being our retailers is going to change as well. Um, but again, it's all, we're, we're, we don't have a playbook for any of this stuff. So we're all trying to um, come up with ideas, come up with, um, with things that make it, um, make doing business as efficient as possible in these times. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of fun, though. You know, it's it. There's a bit of there's a bit of variety in the in in the role and in business now, and it is it's forcing people to be really genuinely creative, um, and that's kind of you know being a marketing. That's what I absolutely love. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with me, Matt Ward, and I really hope you're enjoying the great content from our guests so far. If you want to support the podcast, you can head over to our Patreon page and pledge some support, which would be fantastic. 
The links are in the show notes, and you can also find out a whole lot more about the podcast at our dedicated website, www.runningindustrypodcast.com. For now, though, on with the show, and our next guest, Katie Turner, taking a view at things from the world of PR. Hi, I'm Katie Turner. I own Spike Communications. We're a PR company who specialises in outdoor sports and lifestyle. I actually started out in fashion PR. Um, it was a very glamorous lifestyle, uh, catwalk shows and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then one day, um, we actually, I actually worked for a company that got won the um, business to work with Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports. Um, and if I'm honest, I'd never heard of them at the time, but um, soon grew to love them, all of them. Um, and then when I decided to um, set up my own business, basically to yeah, work around my children, etc., cetera, um, Ellis Brigham very kindly came with me and became my first client. And then through them, I'd already met the guys at Salomon. So then they came over um and then it's just really grown from there so just being part of an industry as you know you then meet people who recommend you and um yeah so I've gone from fashion to outdoor I found myself going from fashion shows to then surfing skating around Paris when Sam did inline skates to skiing to running hiking so Actually, it's been a lovely transition and something I feel very lucky to be part of. When I thought about it, we haven't been affected a huge amount. We are actually being small. We're quite lean. We're very adaptable. Uh, We haven't got big overheads. So uh, we haven't had to worry so much like a lot of companies about how we can even just pay the rent on a building. Um, You know, that's all covered. So, um, so that hasn't been such an issue for, for us. I mean, in the, the PR industry as a whole, I think, I mean, a lot of marketing budgets have been frozen, um, certainly cut. Um, for us, the biggest, the biggest hurdle really has been that we couldn't get our hands on samples. So a lot of what we do is to get our clients' products in the hands of the right testers, the you know, the influencers, the the reviewers, and um, and that was just put on hold for like six weeks. So luckily, we had a bit of a stash in the office. So if they had the right size shoe, the right size foot, we were fine. We could send them out. <laughs> and Sunto watches were good. We had a fair few of those. So we've actually managed to tick over. Um, and the clients also have left a communication channel open with us, so we've not had any time where we couldn't act, we couldn't react or we couldn't work. So, so we've been lucky. Obviously, a lot of the media that we normally talk to are now they're working from home, but what we have found is you actually get more of their time because I think a lot of people are used to working in an office that then are quite lonely working from home, so they're. They're more willing to chat, more willing to talk about more than the usual, yes, I have that product or I need a size four. Um, So it's actually been a nice time to uh, get to know people better, actually. Running and anything outdoor, but particularly running, seems to have had an absolute boom during this time because it's something that people could do in their hour outdoors. I've seen more people out running, walking, cycling in the past three months than I ever have um so I think the potential's there the market's been there people have certainly been buying online so it's just keeping that going isn't it it's creating opportunities for those new runners 
I think the brands, often a lot of the brands have got a lot of backup. If they're owned by big companies, they've got more hope, I guess. Um, and I think uh, from listening to people talking in, within the industry, they're all trying to help each other. So the brands are trying to help the retailers and you know, they're all make they're all making adjustments they probably never thought they'd have to. You know, maybe there isn't a need for a new range every three months. Maybe these will have to carry over for a year just to see everyone through. So um I think with the right cooperation, it, it can go well it can go well for going forward, but then who knows what's gonna happen in that whole economy. So Something that's been very encouraging is that feedback from clients has been that actually PR is a very important part of their marketing, um, overall marketing, because because we are very, it's cost effective. PR is one, probably one of the more cost effective parts of a marketing budget spend um, and, and we can be very adaptable quickly. So for us, I'd like to hope that not much will change um, as soon as we can get events can be up and running again so people can get back out there doing what they love um i'd like to hope that the enthusiasm that people have for for running will keep the brands going keep the retailers going and in turn we can we can keep going so um we're there to support them and hopefully we'll all survive together i mean personally i think that more and more people are taking to trail running so I think that that will continue to grow. I mean, it's grown at a pace anyway, but I think that's something that people from this period of their lives remember being able to go out and just run, run anywhere, run on the fields, run on the tra- trails. Um, so maybe that that will be something that will change. Um, and perhaps people will challenge themselves more. So maybe we'll see even more people taking on ultras and marathons and um, more endurance, just to show that we survived it and look at us now. Rounding things off for us on this episode is a take on how the endurance running event sector has fared under coronavirus. Here's Shane Oley. My name is Shane Oley. I'm the owner of Arrear Events and I work as the race director at each of the events the company organises. We have three really iconic and international events and those are the Dragon's Back Race, Cape Wrath Ultra and Skyline Scotland. I never set out to be a race organiser, that's for sure. Um, And I was asked by uh, Detail Events, now Rat Race Adventure, uh, about 12 years ago whether I would be interested in doing some freelance event planning for them. And they asked me because I had done some of their races, I'd done well at their races and kind of chatted with them and they knew I'd run businesses and set up other you know work things and I thought yeah that would be interesting and I organized for about 18 months I did a little bit of freelance work for them organizing various adventure races and I kind of closed the door on that chapter of my life and I thought that was fun but I'm not going to go back to it and I started doing a fair amount of consulting in the outdoor industry and uh, one of the brands that I worked for for about 18 months was Innovate. So I had a hand in the kind of early development of Innovate. And it was a really exciting time to be involved with that business. They were growing phenomenally fast, fantastic products. And it was a really, really great time to be there. Um, after I'd finished that Innovate work, I had a little bit of money in the bank. Um, and I thought, okay, well, what do I do next? And at about that time, I was doing a little bit of consultancy work for Berghaus. 
and they were looking to sponsor an event. And I was kind of doing some feasibility work for them at the same time as reading Feet in the Clouds. And I read the chapter on the 1992 Dragon's Back race. And you just had those light bulb moments. And I just went, Berghaus want to sponsor an event. Uh, Next year is the 20th anniversary of Dragon's Back race. Surely I can just match these together. So I went back to Berghaus and I said, I've got this idea, actually. And I guess the rest is history. (laughs) So when I did that kind of first modern edition of the Dragon's Back race in 2012, I still had no intention of being a full-time race organiser. I thought this is probably a one-off event. Um, It will be fun. I I quite like, you know, fun projects that keep me very engaged. Uh, To be honest, I was really attracted to the complex logistics of the event and how you would make it all work. And I thought, yeah, that will keep me entertained. But yeah, the Dragon's Back went well enough in 2012 and it was kind of the the first step to Arrear Events Now and all the other races that we organise. Well, COVID's had a devastating impact on the business. There's no doubt about it. Um, by the end of uh, 2020, we will have lost pretty much all of our turnover for the year. Um, financially, yeah, devastating is the right word, but... I think for me, if you were to think just about 2020 as a year in isolation, it would be just depressing. You'd kind of shut up shop and go home. But I do have a, you know, a vision for where the business can be and where the, where the events can develop. And if you actually think about it in a five year time frame, or at least three years, actually, you can kind of see light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, to be brutally honest, it's about borrowing enough money to stay in business this year so that you can be that events business you want to be in three, four, five years' time. I think it's clear that there is going to be a period of less money in the outdoor and the running trade. Uh, Certainly, it doesn't matter if you're an event organiser or a manufacturer brand, everybody's been hit. So I imagine budgets will be much, much tighter in terms of sponsorship. I think there'll be a shakeout period with um, weaker businesses um, uh, falling by the wayside. It's just they won't be able to pick up the financing to stay in business because I mean, when anyone, anyone looks at loaning a business money, they look at they want to see some profit over the years before. And if you haven't got it, they're not going to lend you money. I think also there's going to be uh, a systemic change within uh, event entry financing. So what we have seen is that the, the banks and the, the clearing banks that process debit and credit cards see event and travel businesses very high risk now. So they are almost universally across the board, and this is internationally, they are retaining 100% of your event or travel revenue until you deliver the service. So previously, uh, a business that might sell an entry or a holiday or a service of any nature, they'd get the money and then they maybe deliver the service three months, six months down the line. So really positive cash flow. Now what's happening is the banks are saying, we're holding that money until you deliver the service. And that protects the banks, but it means those businesses left behind need to be able to finance that cash flow. And I think for for every business um, delivering services which are delayed, like events or travel, there's going to be a very significant change to the kind of financial structure of how they manage their business. And that will be very challenging for people to manage. When you have kind of seismic change like this, it creates a period of opportunity for some people and kind of devastation for others. So I think in the short term, there will be 
businesses that fail and are unable to kind of succeed in the kind of the new environment. Um, but that will open the doors for new players to come in and new people to set up events. And so there'll be maybe a period of revival and freshness as well. I'm thinking over the 18 months, two years period. Um, I think the smaller kind of volunteer led events will be essentially unchanged by this because they have a very different cost structure to a professionally managed event. And then, of course, there'll be the big players in the market. And I'm not, I mean, I consider ourselves a small player, I might just clarify, who will look at the market and go, well, actually, there's opportunity now for us to grow, to acquire this business. And it's kind of a, a natural flow that would happen in, in any, any business sector, I think. We already had a fairly clear strategic plan of where we were going, and we were actually um, stopping organizing our smaller events next year anyway. So whilst our kind of grassroots mountain marathon events were essentially the reason I created the business after Dragon's Back, because I wanted to organize events like that, they've just become less and less tenable for various reasons, probably another podcast on that. So we are letting go of those events and we are going to focus solely on Cape Wrath Ultra, Dragon's Back, Skyline Scotland and another kind of feeder event called the Great Lake in three day. Um, so we've got a smaller kind of leaner business next year anyway. And I think it's by pure luck come at a good time for us. And we've got a, a solid plan on what we want to do. Again, if you think in that five year time frame, I don't think there'll be less appetite for people doing events. I think actually there'll be more. And you look at the kind of international trend for growth and trail running, it's really solid at about 10% a year, every year, year after year for many, many years now. And I think that will just keep going. So there we have it, our first episode of the Running Industry Podcast. I'd like to thank Simon Freeman, Matt Green, Rich Phillip, Katie Turner and Shane Oley for taking part. And I'm so grateful for their insight as we come through what has been one of the most testing times in history for the running industry. I'd be really grateful for any feedback on how you think we can improve the show. And if you like what you've heard and to get our latest shows as they are published, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at Run Industry and via our website, runningindustrypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.